This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, you're living in your mother's basement writing a blog on finance. Really, you should stay off the computer, son, and get a job. Seriously. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you're a fan of the NBA or NHL, you know that we're in the middle of the best season, playoff season. Here's an analogy. How can you reach your personal Stanley Cup with your money and goals? Today, we welcome NHL hockey commentator and former star, Stu Grimson. Plus, tragedy struck last week to a daredevil motorcyclist. What does this have to do with you? Maybe more than you think. And later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener, and I'll make sure to give you what you want, what you really, really want. My amazing trivia. And now, two guys who can finally ask Stu about my free Stanley Cup tickets. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. Stu Grimson, I think, is uh, somewhere between 6'4 and 6'6 six, six, OG. There is no way in hell when he comes down to the basement. When he First of all, he's going to have to duck. When he ducks to get down into the basement, I'm going to ask him for anything. I'm not asking Stu Grimson for anything. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Happy Wednesday. You are halfway there, and we're going to help you smooth out the second half of the week. Partying like it's 2021 with the OG. It's on the downhill side. You know, I just celebrated my half birthday a couple days ago. Congratulations. I'm, it's so I great. I was really excited. I'm and ha- knowing you, you had lots of cake, right? Uh, I didn't have any cake because it kind of timed out with Father's Day, give or take. And so I had a little, a little peach something. Kind of like peach pie. It's really yummy. So, mm, so I can- Well, you should be staying away from the peach pie and be on the machines because if Stu decides he needs to get a little fighting and you're you're our enforcer down here in the basement. I'm the enforcer. <laughs> well, as I am halfway to 77 now, I think uh <laughs> I think <laughs> Stu's closer to 77 than you are, but I still I still probably would take him. Unfortunately, no offense, I'd probably take him. We got a great show. Uh, we are in playoff season. 
for not just hockey, but also uh, basketball. And we also have the Olympics coming up. So a lot of analogies, OG, when it comes to getting your goals. And even if you're not a sports fan, I think that hearing about this person's career reached the pinnacle to get to the NHL. Uh, Stu had a great book on that topic, and we're going to talk to him about that and about, quote, playoff hockey with your goals. But we got a great headline. But even before that, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Stu Grimson, waiting in the wings. Let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us from CNN. Uh, This is uh, written by Andy Rose. Daredevil Alex Harville dies while practicing for a world record motorcycle jump. Harville died, OG, on Thursday. Officials in Washington State said he was 28 years old. Harville lived in Euphrata, Washington, and was hoping to break the record of a 351-foot jump, according to the Moses Lake Air Show, where his attempt was scheduled to happen on Thursday videos show his motorcycle running directly into the top edge of the large dirt berm that they were using as his, that he was trying to use as a landing ramp. He was trying to break the record set by Australia's Robbie Madison on March 29th of 2008. Uh, He already owned a record with a 297 foot dirt to dirt jump back in, back in 2013. I thought this was interesting in two perspectives, OG. First of all, obviously, Alex, I'm sure, knew way more than you or I that you don't know when the story's going to end. So having your stuff in order, having your house in order for that time, I was driving down I-35 outside of Austin. All of a sudden, the car in front of me just lays on the brake move to the left. Luckily our car has that uh, auto braking system as well. Cause while we saw it just a smidge late and laid on our brakes too, and moved to the right because four lanes of traffic at this part outside Austin, Texas, a car was horizontal across the two fastest lanes and the person in front of us, apparently, I don't know if they hadn't seen it or the car had just spun out, but there was a car that was not facing the right not way. Not facing the right way. And uh, Cheryl was driving at the time. Had she not reacted quickly, we might not be here today. Well, that's not fun to think about. No. <laughs> so now what do we say? Pretty morbid. It is pretty morbid. But the point is, you don't know, you don't know when the story's over. This guy's 28 years old. Getting that estate planning deck. There's never a good time to talk about estate planning. Right. And yet I see a headline like this and I'm like, if a guy's 28 years old and he's a, he's trying to do world records where he's doing the longest jump, hopefully he's got an estate plan. 
I think there's different levels of this, right? I mean, if you think about the area, you know, the, the different stages of your life, if you're in your 20s and you're not married and you don't have any kids and you don't have a lot of stuff, I think just making sure the beneficiaries are right is good enough. You know, you might have to have somebody be your password buddy. <laughs> you know, that's a thing now. What do you do with all your passwords? How do you shut down your Facebook account? You know what I mean? Like, you kind of think through that a little bit, but but that's not the end of the world. There'll be people who 30 years after you're dead are like, happy birthday, Joe. Hope you're having a good one. It's like, Joe turned 161 today because somebody couldn't get into your Facebook and shut it down. You know, it is what it is. But the money stuff always tears families up. And the simplest thing is just make sure the beneficiaries are right. Just make sure your bank account has a transfer on death on it. Make sure your brokerage account has a transfer on death. It's called a TOD form. You can call Fidelity or Schwab or whatever and tell them you need one. Make sure your IRA has one. Well, and while this is important all the time, especially if you're somebody with a blended family, maybe it's your second marriage. Oh my goodness, yeah. This is where people find problems all the time. And, and that's why I was saying there's kind of different levels. You know, if you're if you're young and you don't have any kids and you're not married and haven't ever been and you know whatever, beneficiaries kind of accomplish a lot of that. You know, ninety nine percent of it, you're probably good. If you have a ton of money, if you're you know, we we're talking to a former NHL player. If you're an NHL player and you're 22, you probably need a more comprehensive estate plan. But if you're just Joe Schmo racing motorcycles, you know, maybe you don't. You start adding other things into the mix. If you add children, if you add a spouse that you're supposed to take care of, you know, maybe that spouse is working or not working. If you have a blended family, like all of those things add other layers of complexity to your to your final wishes that you need to spell out. You have to actually sit down and say, this is what I want to have happen. And P.S., it's actually a pretty good idea to tell everybody this ahead of time. You know, you see those commercials. I think the most recent one, I don't know if it's a Snickers commercial or something like that, all the families gathered around and the attorney is sitting at the big desk, you know, and there's this big book and it's like, and to my estate, I bequeath, you know, and it gives it to like the crazy cousin or something and everybody's like, Finally, you know, suck it up to him now. It shouldn't be a surprise. You know, it, 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 it shouldn't be a surprise who gets the grandfather clock. It should already be decided. You know what I mean? Like, that's the stuff that makes stuff happen that is totally preventable if you just have that conversation ahead of time. And I get that, like, talking about your own demise and, you know, that sort of stuff isn't, isn't super exciting. But if you have kids you better make sure that you know who's going to take care of them if you're not able to. And you better make sure that that person is okay with it. They don't want to be like, hey, so great news. You get the kids. <laughs> like, Imagine that conversation. Like, what do you mean I get the kids? I don't get the Ferrari? No, you get the kids. Your brother-in-law gets the Ferrari. It's like, can we trade? I want the Ferrari. I don't want the kids. You know, it's like, just grow up, Peter Pan. There is... A movie coming out that was, I think it was going to come out last year about Aretha Franklin. And we did all those headlines, OG, That's where right. she she had, what, three different wills, mm-hmm. depending on what day it was. Like, have have just one will, have that all in order. And obviously, there's something else going on here, too, that I want to pivot to, which is this idea of estate plans and estate planning. There's, there's a bigger one. Like someday you will die. Hopefully you die a long, long time from now. But you know, the thing that really stinks is not, not passing away, but you get into an accident like this and you don't die. 
I mean, this is really, really morbid, but now you're alive and you can't work. Disability insurance should be at the top of your list of strategies that you want to pay attention to. All this just kind of goes into protection planning and you're thinking about all the different things that can go wrong. You know, we would call it what if planning. We call it responsibility planning. This is all the things that you go, I've got this great financial plan drawn up. I know I'm saving 20% of my income. I'm maxing out this. I've got this perfect investment plan and get these low cost products. And like all of this is perfect. Now you go, now what could screw this up? We think about the easy ones like, well, if inflation happens or, well, if the Federal Reserve, you know, da, 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 da. Or what if the market does it? What if I only get 8% instead of 10? It's like, cool. What if you can't put the 20% in for the next 30 years? No, no, no. I'm going to do that. That I'm going to do. It's like, well, maybe. You know, what happens if you can't? What happens if you get sick or hurt? It doesn't have to be a terrible highway accident. There's just a story about a dude that just got out of the hospital. He went in the hospital in March last year for COVID and just got out. How's he, how's he paid his mortgage this whole time? Who paid his mortgage? Like, do you think, I'm sure the bank had some sort of, you know, like forgiveness type deal going on. Sure. But who called the bank? You know what I mean? Like who, who specifically did it? Cause you're laying there in the hospital room. I don't think you're thinking about like, Oh, I should probably contact BMW and let them know that I'm not gonna make this month's payment. You know what I mean? They, they just come take it. They just be like, this dude didn't stop paying. I don't know what happened, but he stopped paying when we take his stuff. The bank goes, Hey, uh, you didn't have your money. I love how you go right for a BMW. Maybe I should call the Lamborghini dealer and uh, make sure that the payment gets paid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's another reason not to have payments. We talked about bankers sucking ass the other day. If you're sick with COVID in the hospital for months and months and months, you don't get your house repossessed. This is the lesson, stackers. When you buy the Diablo, uh, don't do it on payments. Yeah. But my point is, is like, that's a domino that can fall that you don't know that's fallen. You know what I mean? Like you're not no thinking who's paying the electric bill, right? Like what happens to your cat? <laughs> like this is the stuff that if you're, you know, I mean, you got to sort through this crap and think about it while you're of relatively sound mind, because if you don't, you know, bad things happen. So it is interesting. As you say that my estate plan is done and I like it. We just open I, the door. Your estate plan for your cat is we just leave the door open. Well, well, that's the thing. I don't have an estate plan for Cooper. I, D- D- Cooper's figures nowhere into the estate plan. I have not crossed that bridge yet. Yeah, but I mean, think about it. Like the the guy that was in the hot now, he was married, so he had a spouse who could ostensibly kind of take over. Maybe that spouse already did it. But my point is, is like, what if you're in a relationship where one person's in charge of the money and the other person doesn't have any clue where the checkbooks are? let alone how to write a check or how to pay the bills or who to pay. Like, and you're in the hospital for three months, who pays the electric bill? Who, how do you make sure that that gets done? Cause eventually if you just say, well, it's on auto pay. All right, that's cool. But Amex will stop taking your card. If you stop paying the payment, you know what I mean? Like think about those second and third order effects. I don't know. Fun things to do on a Wednesday afternoon in June. Forget your golf round. Do your damn estate plan. You know what, though? You know how much more fun the golf round is when the estate plan's done? Like, seriously, get it out of the way. Think about it once. Think about it now. Don't think about it again later. Because people spend too much time thinking about this stuff instead of just get the, get the solid foundation and forget about it. Well, something we can't forget about is our trivia segment, OG. And you know why we can't forget about it? Because look behind you. Doug's standing right behind you. He's breathing out my neck. <laughs> 
All right, Doug, uh, we're moving over time for some, uh, Wednesday trivia. Let's do this. Hey stackers, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I am so geeked to hear this interview with Stu Grimson. I mean, what's the best part of hockey? The fights, of course. And Stu was an absolute enforcer. Don't believe me? Listen to this clip from January 30th, 1993. Now McFarley drops the glove with Grimson. They wrestle on the far side. McFarley and Grimson trying to get a hand loose. They've each landed a couple to the side of the head. Now they stand toe to toe and pluck it out. Grimson and McFarley toe to toe with the right hand. And they're each jackhammering away. Oh, man. Bam, bam, pow. Reminds me of my glory days back in the Detroit Dixie League. Gather around so I can share a few of my war stories while you're getting situated. How about your trivia question? Here we go. Stu Grimson played for seven teams during his long career. One of his former clubs has won more Stanley Cups than any other team since 2010. Three to be exact. What team was it? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can lace up and do a triple axle followed by a sow cow. Well, they do that in hockey, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals and collaborate with your partner. And now because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30 day free trial. When you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad free privacy. You can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? You want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. 
there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, the man you trust for trivia. And Stu Grimson and me, yeah, we're pretty much the same. He played in the NHL, and I was the star player for Dots Ace Hardware Ninjas in the Premier Little League in Detroit. And where do you put your best player? Right field, of course. I'll tell you, I was locked in. As a matter of fact, the opposing teams were often too scared to even hit the ball my way. In fact, catch this. I was such a prolific slugger that I was always getting brushed off the plate. I'll admit it was a little weird that Tommy's dad was always throwing him high and inside to me, but he knew he had to. Otherwise, I was going to smack the ball to the fence. You know, that big giant one behind me. Not many people can do that. If there was a Little League Hall of Fame, you can be sure I'd probably already be inducted. All right, we all know that while I could be the star, today is really Stu Grimson's day. And one of Stu's former teams has won more Stanley Cups than any other team since 2010. Three to be exact. Which team was it? Well, Stu played three of his 16 seasons with none other than the Chicago Blackhawks, who have managed to win the Stanley Cup three times since 2010. But that total won't grow this year since they didn't make it to the playoffs. But good news, we've got the man himself on deck. Let's pass this over to Joe and Stu. See ya. Whether you're a sports fan or not, I think you're going to love this next guest. He is a gentleman who now is an attorney in Nashville, Tennessee, where he lives with his spouse, Jennifer. But different than many of our guests, he's a guy that I grew up watching on television, OG. Sometimes is a guy who I loved when he was with my beloved Detroit Red Wings, and sometimes is a guy I didn't like so much when he played for teams like the Anaheim Ducks and the Chicago Blackhawks. I'm talking about Stu Grimson. He had a role called an enforcer. Now, I know that some of you aren't sports fans, but I think there's a great analogy here about reaching the top of whatever you're trying to do, and we're going to focus on that with Stu, because over his sports career, Stu has lifted a lot of trophies, and now he's part of the NHL Network talking about this year's trophy. He has a book about reaching the top and about coping with the fact that he may have to reach the top in a different way than he thought. And I think for a lot of his OG, this is really important stuff, that success doesn't come down Main Street the way that you think it's going to come, right? Success sometimes happens to us in a completely different way that we don't expect, and you got to be ready for it. That is so annoying because I'm a big fan of just walking the path, doing my thing, and just letting all of this greatness happen to me. Let and, the success. and you're telling me that I have to maybe uh, shuck and jive a little bit. Like maybe it's not going to be the, the emerald path laid out before me. Yeah, just that easy red carpet. Uh, Stu's role as an enforcer meant he was going to fight a lot. I'm sure we're going to talk about that. It's a very violent role. The NHL, of course, is a very violent place, but he's on the violent end of the violent place that was the NHL. But believe it or not, he didn't really want to be there. OG, it's not where Stu Grimson saw himself, which is a guy who grew up watching him. I find very hard to believe because he was very, very good at his job. Let's say hello to him. Stu Grimson on my dad's shortwave radio. 
And I'm my dad, Shortwave Radio. It is a guy that I feel very lucky to know and whose career I followed for a long time. Stu Grimson on my dad, Shortwave. How are you, man? Hey, I'm great, Joe. How are you? Well, I'm so happy to talk to you. It's funny reading your memoir, especially right now, during the time when we're in the middle of playoff season in the NHL, probably my favorite season of the year is playoff season. You're a guy that has been in the playoffs a lot. You hoisted a lot of trophies, never a Stanley Cup trophy, but a lot of trophies, including the Western Conference Championship Trophy with my beloved Detroit Red Wings. So thanks for helping us do that. This time of year, is this also your favorite time of year? I got to imagine it is. Oh, it, it really is. You know, I am continually reminded each season that NHL playoff hockey is far and away the best tournament in my estimation in all of pro sports. And the reason is you've got to be one of the top eight teams in in your conference. Typically, that's not an easy thing to do. And then number two is it becomes a war of attrition and it almost shifts in terms of how the game is played. It's less about skill, finesse, although that is part of the the NHL playoffs, but it becomes kind of, are you physical enough to kind of withstand this war of attrition that is the NHL playoffs? And the last point I'll make, Joe, is about really this iteration of the NHL playoffs. Remember, we don't have our typical divisional and then conference alignment. We've kind of crafted just for sake of geography for the pandemic. We've created these new divisions. So I've been wondering what's the balance like here? And I've been, I've just been really overwhelmed. You know, it's looking like at present, as we, you and I speak, we're kind of in the throes of the third round, kind of the the conference finals. It's looking like we'll see Vegas and Tampa playoff potentially. Now that could change. That could change. But to me, you know, I think we're going to get a couple of Titans face off against one another if it does look like that. But this could be a really another a great final that caps off another great instance of Stanley Cup playoffs. We have uh, lots of fans of the show who are money geeks who don't know hockey, don't have the love of hockey or don't follow it. But there's so many analogies here, Stu, that you talked about. You talked about finesse, but you also talked about longevity and having the stamina to go forward. I want to dive into some of that uh, through looking at your career and also taking yourself seriously as a professional, because I feel like reading your memoir, there was a time when you went from Stu Grimson, the guy that if he was naked, jumping off a roof, the party was started (laughs) to Stu Grimson, who is the consummate professional, really the guy who was kind of the heart of some of the teams that you were on to do that. I think to get there, I want to start off by talking about your role, which was called an enforcer. Can you tell everybody who's not a hockey fan what an enforcer is? And that'll kind of guide our discussion as we go. Yeah, I I think that's a great point, Joe. It really is. This is a role, my role, you know, albeit I played it out in the 80s, 90s, and even into the 2000s. It's not as readily identifiable today. It's not as prominent in the game today. You might even say that this type of player is virtually extinct from the game today. But essentially, every team had one or two guys in my role, generally a, you know, a heavyweight type athlete in terms of physical stature, maybe you're 6'2", 6'3", to 6'5", or 6'6", 225 to 260 pounds in some cases, but great big physical hulking guys, almost, you know, you'd be more accustomed to seeing this kind of guy 
on the football grid as you would on the hockey grid. But we were there and we were responsible for a couple of things. One, it was the protection of the smaller, the skilled type players on our team. If you didn't have a guy like me on your roster, there's a very good chance the team on the other side would play your skill guys more physically and try to intimidate them and prevent them from being able to play their game. So that was kind of, you know, job description or job duty number one. You're like, one the, of the, other, you're like the sheriff on the ice for your team. Right. Exactly right. We were the cops of hockey, the policemen of <laughs> hockey. I like to say, and Paul Korea, my, one of my, you know, the, the great all-stars that I ever played with, he used to get a chuckle out of this. I used to like to say, I created a safe working environment for <laughs> the, the Paul Koreas, the Steve Eisenman, uh of the NHL. But there's this interesting other dynamic, and I think this is still kind of prevalent today. It's an interesting thing. If my club is flat, if we're behind in the game, a goal or two, we're not playing all that well. If I go out and I get into a scrape with my counterpart on the other side, 75% of the time, it would change the energy within that game. The fans in the stands got it. The refs got it. The coaches got it. And certainly the players got it. And usually it led to, you know, a physical offensive surge from my team. It would often change the momentum in that game. So those were kind of the two things that, you know, a guy like me was, that's what I was charged with. For all our stats nerds out there, during those 14 years, you had only 17 goals in 14 years. You'd scored a lot in other leagues and other places, but you have 211 regular season fighting majors. That was a fight every 3.5 regular season games, which is truly, which is truly the stat that, uh, that they need you to have. Right. No, that's exactly right. And it's probably a great way to, I think, flesh out the contribution or, or the role that a guy in, in my situation played. It was very much a, uh, you know, you, you brought a physical dynamic and the justification for that was much stronger in my era than it is today. Although I think it still really does survive in the game today. Hockey is a physical game and being able to establish kind of physical superiority. It's not a guarantee that you're going to win Joe, but it does, I think, have a, an impact on, your chances, your ability to kind of get the better of the other team and come and eventually come out on top on the score sheet, if that makes sense. You were, you're, you're six, four, actually closer to six, 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 six five six. and like six, five and a half. Yeah. And when you were playing, how much did you weigh roughly? I started out in the probably mid two twenties, two thirty. By the time I finished playing, I kind of transformed a little bit. I was carrying a little extra muscle. I was about two fifty by the time I retired from playing. It's amazing that a guy as big as you, Steve, just a big presence that you would be in Calgary's camp with your big chance to be in the NHL. And I was so surprised to read that, that you wanted nothing to do with it. You were really having yeah. a hard time coping with this role of enforcer that we're talking about. You, you didn't want to be the fighter on the team. Yeah. Here's the thing. I don't, I don't think anybody, any young Canadian boy falls out of bed going, I want to be a, a hockey enforcer. It is not an easy role to play. I mean, you are literally preparing for hand-to-hand -hand combat with somebody, you know, built like you on the other side, 82 games a year. And it really starts to take a toll. And it's harder too, I think, when you're asked to play that role and you're not playing a lot. Guys in my role typically play 
three, four, five minutes per game per night when the average skater is playing something in a range of 15 to 18 minutes per night. And when you're playing regularly and a skirmish breaks out of that circumstance, that's easy to deal with. But to have to go from zero to 100 miles an hour because you haven't been playing a lot and you're asked to kind of to wade in and, and to do that, that's a really hard thing to do. And I think the point we're making here in the context of this question, Joe, for me is if I want to play in the NHL, if I want to have a career in the NHL, I don't any longer have the skill set to be that 20 goal score, that 25 goal score during my amateur career. I was a point of game player during my collegiate career, but you kind of get to a place where, okay, I, I don't have the skills to be a 30 goal score at this level, but there is a niche for me as this enforcer type player. If I'm prepared to bring this role you know, there is an NHL career for me. So it took me a while to kind of get to that realization. It, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, but um, I kind of had to become more comfortable in that role as my career evolved. And then eventually by the time I'm in my middle twenties, certainly I've kind of realized, Hey, I got the, the mindset and certainly the physical skill set to play that role. And then feeling more comfortable in it now, but as a teen uh, and in my early twenties, not so much. I think there's so many analogies here for people in whatever the career they're in, because, you know, you played in the NHL, you had a long career in the NHL. And I feel like there's a lot of people out there that want that starring role that you're talking about, right? A point of game mm -hmm. scoring in yeah. every game and realize that they could make the big leagues if they just realize where their strengths were, which clearly you had a strength. Yeah, it's a good point. I really like that you put it into that context because for many of us, you know, I think we all start out, and that's not to say this is a wrong ideal or a wrong aspiration to have. We want to be the CEO. We want to be the money guy, the guy that, that makes the big decisions. And that's a noble aspiration to have. However, don't cheat yourself out of what could be a great career, albeit not in a starring role necessarily, because there are lots of great niches that we can all fall into that ultimately create to the corporate success, the company success. And for me, that role was, or, or that analogy was, I can't be a 40 goal guy, but I can be somebody who makes it easier for the 40 goal guy to do what he needs to do. And ultimately together, we create a corporate, we create a, a team success where ultimately we, we all, we both prosper. So there's great application in the lesson that I learned from sport that applies to the corporate environment that, you know, that applies to the, the small business, even the, the large corporation environment. Uh, and, and that's a big part of, you know, why I, I wrote the book. And I've had a lot of people speak that lesson back to me saying, hey, I don't work in pro sports. I don't play in pro sports. But that lesson that you learned at a different point in your career, it has application for what I'm doing today. You had a lot of uh, coaches, a lot of people help you with that. Tell me about the role of coaches in creating the Stu Grimson that's, that's you today. Yeah, I think coaches over the course of your career, when you've played for a good long while, and I'm going back to really my, my teen years, 13, 14, 15, a great coach, you know he had an impact on you. I used to be out there on the ice, navigating a certain play, a certain situation. And it was almost like I could hear a coach's voice in the back of my head. And I always thought for me, that was the mark of a great coach, somebody that left an impression on me 
to the point where I was hearing his voice and it impacted the way I played the game on, on any given night. And there are many, many, many of those coaches. And you really kind of hearken to one, Wayne Fleming. I played for two years at the University of Manitoba. And that was an important stop for me. It was kind of in that transitional period. You know, I left what we call junior hockey, uh, major junior hockey back in Canada, kind of almost the equivalent of a pro league back home. I played some college hockey before I actually turned pro. Wayne was instrumental in helping me focus on the skill elements of the game so that I could ultimately go on and 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 tackle and, and achieve a, a professional career. But two, you know, allowed me a moment in my career when I didn't have to really worry about the physical side. I could just worry about focus on the playing side. And that was, uh, you know, kind of a two years that allowed me to grow up and gain the maturity to ultimately tackle a, uh, a pro career. So that was a, you know, it was a different, it was a unique and a, a kind of an unconventional path that I took to go from major junior to college yeah. to the pros. Cause most athletes kind of took one of those paths. You either played major junior and went pro or you played college and went pro. I ended up doing both. It took me a while to get there, but for me, it was the right way. You know, there is no exact and preferred path, there is the path that is best for you at any given moment in time. It may look different from other people's, but that's okay. It can be inexact. It can be long and winding. Ultimately, you get to your destination and that's that's the chief objective, right? But it also seems like, Stu, that with your, your career having had a couple of those setbacks, you played with a bunch of people, I'm sure, that you saw that washed out of the league because they were uncoachable. And there were times, I know, especially there at the university, you talk about an incident, an altercation you got into where you ultimately, I think, got probation uh, for yeah. a, a fight just off the ice with another player where you had to kind of put your tail between your legs, put your ego aside and say, I need to be coachable right now or this is going nowhere. Yeah, yeah exactly right. I, I think two things that really have been important resonant themes throughout my life, Joe, is I have made some really bad choices. And number two, separate from that, I have been knocked on my ass physically, knocked on my ass, or in some cases, figuratively, been knocked on my ass. And for whatever reason, I think it really comes from a solid grounded upbringing, uh, grew from, you know, grew up in a household of two working class parents where Hey, if you made a mistake, you owned it, you made it right, and you moved on from there. And, and that really has been, I think, an important theme for me. It goes to this point you're making about coachability. I have been humbled in so many ways and still been able to say, okay, I got to make this right, or I got to bounce back from this. And I can learn from that as I go forward. And as long as I take the lesson with me and I am better for having, uh, better at what I do for having learned that lesson all is forgotten, if well, that makes sense. It, absolutely. No. And it, it definitely feels like you have to have a short memory in, in, in what you do. And in fact, I'm yeah. thinking about some of your uh, fights on the ice with guys like Bob, Bob Probert. You tell a story about Bob Probert coming up to you in a restaurant and you guys had fought just a couple of days earlier and he's acting like you guys are best friends. In the, so almost no memory. Of course, people could argue that Bob Probert maybe had no memory at that point. But, but, but anyway, I don't want to get into that too much. As much as I want to uh, talk about this idea, though, of of physicality, I want to jump into that for a second because I was also surprised to find out, you know, as a as a 
casual hockey fan, guy that likes hockey, you see a guy like Stu Grimson on the ice fighting Marley McSorley or fighting uh, or fighting with with any Joey Koser, whoever. Right. And and I think these guys just throw a few punches and there's it. You actually in the off season would study balance and timing, and you really put a lot of thought and strategy into this role. This wasn't a casual thing, Stu. This took a lot of preparation. It did. Uh, you don't fall out of bed and uh, and have the skills and the experiences and the physical acumen to to be an NHL hockey player. And even, and certainly, you know, an NHL hockey player that takes on this enforcer type role, it is a rather unique animal. If I can describe it that way, I'm fond of saying, you know, this was kind of a a time in the game when dinosaurs roamed the earth. I was one of those, (laughs) I was one of those dinosaurs. I was the T-Rex kind of inhabiting the ice and making life somewhat unpleasant for, for smaller folks on the other side. But it was, um, it is a unique role. And I, you know, I spent a, a good portion of my amateur career and then even into my professional career back in my hometown, Kamloops, British Columbia, back in Western Canada. I was a member of a great school called the White Crane Kung Fu School back in Kamloops, British Columbia. Kickboxing. It's the, the Asian name for, for kickboxing. And it was a really great way to learn to become comfortable using my, my hands, especially you know, kind of in hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. I think the analogy here is I see so many people, Stu, that get upset with their manager that they're not training them enough or get upset with manage- with with the people around them because they're not training them. And you really have to take control of, of your own career and go for it. Speaking yeah. of career, I'm reading along, waiting for Stu to make it to the NHL. Finally, after Salt Lake, you finally get your coming to the NHL moment. Tell me about your Stu Gribson's welcome to the NHL moment. Well, my contemporary on the other side, well, first, let me back up a step. One of the greatest rivalries in our game was the Battle of Alberta. And Edmonton and Calgary both have formidable hockey teams with great backgrounds, great legacies. And I'm playing, I'm a member of the Calgary Flames. The heavyweight champion of the NHL back at that moment in time was a guy by the name of Dave Brown. Dave Brown, fists of renown, that Dave Brown. <laughs> and he uh, he had a left hand that hit like a thundercloud, and he had this gaze, this thousand-yard gaze, where it was like he was just kind of looking through you. So I got called up for my first legitimate stretch of hockey with the Calgary Flames, and it comes on the front end of a back-to-back set of games with the Edmonton Oilers. That's who Dave Brown played for. And I knew when I got up there, Joe, if I was going to – You know, if I was going to have a career in the NHL, the path to that career led right through fists of renown, Dave Brown. So we're out there and I am so nervous. First face off as we get into the game, he and I are shoulder to shoulder. I elbow him in the chest to get his attention. And then I kind of stand back and I, you know, I adopt this fighting posture. Well, three left hands cut the air above my head in a making a sound that I had never heard before. It was like, what, what is going on? It was like torpedoes above me in the air. And I'm, I had the realization at that moment, I better get busy or this is going to be over quick. I was able to grab that left hand with my left hand was able to yank down on his Jersey. And I clocked him twice right on the button. And there in front of me was the outstretched body of the heavyweight champion of the NHL. I'm going, it can't be that easy. 
you're probably well read enough to know that it was Charles Dickens who said it was both the best of times and the worst of times. <laughs> Two nights later, we played the Edmonton Oilers again in our building, first shift of the game, and Dave Brown comes looking for me. I was slow getting my glove off. I was far from 100% in this one, and he gets the best of me by far. He clocked me three times with that left hand. One of them clipped me right under my right eye, and I went down. He didn't knock me out, but he knocked me down, and I went to wipe away what I was sure was blood underneath my right eye. No blood, just a really significant depression under my right eye, like nothing I had ever felt before. I'd had lots and lots of fights before this time in my career, and I'd never felt anything like this. So anyways, I'm trying to hide it. I go to the penalty box. We serve our five-minute majors. All the while, I'm in the box going, oh, my gosh, this guy really embarrassed me. I've got to answer for it. I've got to fight him again. So I'm sitting there thinking I've got to fight him again. But I'm here to tell you that as each moment ticked by, each minute ticked by, Joe, my head got 10 pounds heavier with each moment. It was just like this dull, throbbing pain started to set in. So I skated across the ice. I went to our trainer, a guy by the name of Bearcat Murray. I said, Bear, something's wrong. You got to get me to the doctor. Terry Chris, my coach, goes, where in the heck are you going? I'm like, I, I walked right past him. I got to go see the, I got to go see the doctor. Long story short. Fractured orbital bone in three places, broken cheekbone under my eye. The next night, I went into emergency surgery to repair this. And the way you repair that is you make an incision behind the ear. You go inside the skull. You tap the fracture out. And then you put a stainless steel pin inside my face and anchored inside the three bones in my nose so that that fracture will heal, will set. And I wore that with about a a quarter inch of stainless steel pen sticking out of my face for the next five weeks. I mean, I looked like I had been in a plane crash. I was unrecognizable even then to my former wife. But um, again, been knocked on my ass a few times. I managed to, to bounce back and go on to have a pretty prosperous NHL career in spite of those auspicious beginnings. So many stories. I want to, I want to focus on, of course, being a Detroit guy, got to focus on when you, when you made your way to my Red Wings, uh, you talk about one of your first days there, you got a hell of a money story, my friend, which is you go out to dinner with a bunch of these guys. It sounds like the Detroit Red Wings players do are really, um, these guys like to spend money. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, they sure do. So there's this interesting kind of, uh, what should we say, custom that exists in the NHL. I think it still survives today. We call it the credit card game. We like to play the credit card game. Anytime you go out with a good size group, four guys, and on this particular occasion, it was half the team. There were 13 of us out. It was half the team. So the credit card game works in the following way. Everybody puts in their card. You put it into a hat or sometimes a table napkin. You pass it around. Everybody gets a chance to pull a card. Hopefully it's your card out of the pile and whoever has the misfortune of being the last credit card to be pulled out of the hat, you're buying dinner. That card is buying dinner. So you're starting to see where this is going. I'm brand new to the Detroit Red Wings, 13 of us out to a nice steak dinner in Toronto, Ontario on our first road trip that I joined the team. And we're going to play the credit card game. I'm pretty sure it was Bob Rouse, my ex-teammate who I have not forgiven to this day for making the suggestion <laughs> at this moment, but he makes the suge suggestion we're going to play the credit card game. Now, the irony in the way I am ultimately the last guy out, I'm sure you see going this way, 
But my roommate at the time is Darren McCarty. The hat has gone all the way around the table. There are just two cards left in there. It's me and I think, I, I can't remember who else it was. And my roommate is charged with making the pluck out of the hat determining who will be the last credit card out of the hat. He picked the other card, left me in the hat. So I'm the guy that buys dinner for 13 of my, 12 of my Detroit teammates. I will say this. There's no better way to endear yourself to your new team than to take them all out to dinner. The first road trip you're on, you're on, you're on the team. So, there was, it really stung in the wallet, but there was an upside. <laughs> There are so many more stories I want to ask you, my friend. Uh, I'm going to end with this one. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up your way, 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 way better half, Jennifer, oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. who's been on this show. Her micro empires uh, empire is just fantastic. People can follow her and the inspiring stuff, including her podcast online. But you and her now are real estate investors. Tell me why you decided after your career that real estate was really where you were headed. Yeah, well, the inspiration or the inclination to get involved in real estate really kind of was a byproduct of my playing career. During the course of my career, you know, changed teams and moved to a lot of different locations and and had the experience of buying and selling different homes over the course of my career. So you begin to study different markets, what, you know, how they, the quirks, the the aspects of these different markets. And I think getting to know Jennifer who was at a time in her professional career and real estate career where she was probably ahead of, of me in terms of, you know, her sophistication with different cash flowing real estate assets. She and I came together. We really amplified these two interests that we had. And I think it's been, you know, I, I, I said, as I, I, I look for a life partner, I really wanted to find my best friend. And, and Jen is certainly that apart from the professional, apart from the real estate, Jen is really that. But the thing that really augments our relationship is we have this unique and this, this mutual desire or interest in real estate. And that is an important pillar or cornerstone of our, our relationship as well. So she brings out the best in me in that respect and, and in other ways. And again, it's an important kind of grounding aspect of our, our relationship. And I think the other grounding aspect is that you two both relish uh, posting videos of you eating very loudly on social media. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if you love it, but she's she certainly does. That's, that's a better way to describe it. So yeah, I, I, I'm a guy that's got his share of the quirks. Um, they're easy to spot. They're, they're easy to make fun of. And uh, she's built this small cottage industry of uh, <laughs> me and my loud salad out there on on Twitter and Instagram and and other places. I love so, that it made it to the NHL network, even. Yeah, it certainly <laughs> has. Our uh, our guys back at the network love to uh, <laughs> pick up on that, and they do a great job of cutting and pasting and editing and making all that like that, uh, not so flattering for me. Yeah. Uh, the book is the grim reaper, the life and career of a reluctant warrior. And it's just a page turner. I'm assuming that you can get it everywhere, Stu. You can get it everywhere. Amazon's a good spot to try and start. Yep. Thank sure you. Go. Thank you, my friend for coming on and, uh, for talking a little bit about your career and helping us all kind of get to our own Stanley cup. I appreciate it. 
Well, that's great. I'll tell you, only only somebody with your skill set could take a ex NHL enforcer and make that relevant for a financial podcast. Congratulations, you're you're a true pro. <laughs> Hi, I'm David Stein. When I'm not talking to other people about money on Money for the Rest of Us, I'm stacking Benjamins. Huge thanks again to Stu Crimson for spending some time with us. And by the way, I spoke with Stu for much longer, about 35 minutes, and you can hear the entire interview on our YouTube channel if you'd like to hear all of it. And Stu always has some great stories. But there's some huge lessons there, OG. Success does not come the way that you think it's going to come. And also spending time on the little things like you and I, when we see a fight in hockey, we don't think much about it, but from his Taekwondo classes to his off season training to all those little, little things, I feel like it's those, you know, it goes back to when we talked to Corey LaJoy, the NASCAR driver, and he talked about stacking pennies, this idea of stacking pennies, I think, is a great theme. You know, we talked earlier about estate planning, get it done early, right? Get this solid foundation built and then good things are going to happen. Whether it's, you know, NASCAR, your next promotion, NHL, whatever you want it to be, it, it can be there. But I feel like people want to spend a lot of time on the sexy stuff and not building that foundation. Because that's where all the cool things are. The cool things are on the buying the apartment building. It's not paying off your credit card bills. The cool stuff is monkey in with your asset allocation, not increasing your contribution rates automatically. And it doesn't help that we see a lot of the get rich quick type stuff, especially now social media, we make fun of TikTok, you know, and the TikTok, you know, Monday thing. There's some stuff there that's okay. But a lot of it is like, hey, I put $500 in this thing and now I have 62 million. So uh, there was a story the other day about a dude that woke up and he had a trillion dollars in some crypto that he put like a hundred dollars in, but he couldn't, you know, he couldn't get it out. So he <laughs> had to go to school the next day. So we see that and we go, well, I'll just take that path. <laughs> that seems a lot, that's a lot more fun. And it's true. That would be a lot more fun. I would love to, I would love to wake up tomorrow and find out that the thousand shares of Apple that I own somehow iPhones cure cancer. And now they're worth a million dollars a share. You know, I'd get a new phone number and that would be cool. But that's not how it works. You know, for 99% of the people, you got you to gotta put in the work. And you got to enjoy the work. I was just having this conversation with my, my kid. We were driving home from vacation, and, and it was just he and I. And he said something. We were talking about kind of the, all, all the next stuff. Like, oh, it'd be nice to have this. I said, when you're, when you're 14, you just you, you, <laughs> the biggest goal you have in life is, can I get a girlfriend? Like, that's what I just, that'd be awesome. To have. And then you have a girlfriend, and you're like, I probably would like a car. Maybe a car and a girlfriend would be really cool. <laughs> oh, you know? And then and then after and then you're like, and then I want to get into a college, but I would like to get into a good college. And then I want a job, but I want a job with money. And then I want, you know, a nicer car or a bigger house. And now I want a family and now I want a vacation house and a boat to go with my vacation house and a bigger boat to go. It's just like one right after another. And he said, which was super cool, he goes, Dad, it's not about the stuff, it's about getting to the stuff. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. It's the journey along the way. And you have to enjoy all of that. There's nothing wrong with wanting things. You know, there's nothing wrong with going, hey, I really want that. Or I'm going to work really hard to that. Or, you know, I'm going to work hard for financial independence or whatever. But if you're not enjoying the, the journey along the way, back to our previous discussion, tomorrow's not promised to anybody. So, yeah, screw it, man. Have fun. 
Yeah. And it was when Stu embraced the fact that this is his role that he started enjoying it. He yeah. said, you know what? This is, this is what it is. And if I'm going to make it to the elite level, that's what I got to do. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, OG, they put what you value first. I'm going to try to shoot in the 70s as soon as we get done here today. So I'm going to go uh, straight drives down the middle of fairway. His summer, baby, his vacation. With with Nick here last week, uh, I, as you know, I'm not a huge golf fan. Oh, and I know. I've yes. played with you. <laughs> I am not. But I went out and he and I had a great time. I just like hanging out. Well, when you and I hung out and, and did it last year when I was at your house, I have a lot of fun. But man, 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 not for me, for somebody else. It's actually your loved ones in your time. And I guess if it's your loved ones in your time on a golf cart with maybe a uh, drink with an umbrella in it, Ooh. there you go. It's why they might buying quality term life insurance actually simple. You go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now and you're going to get a free quote their application is simple. It's online. You get an instant coverage decision, affordable prices, and everything's issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, which has been around more than 106 years. 106? 160 years. Hey, um, we got a great question in our Facebook group, The Basement. StackyBedjamins.com forward slash basement gives the, the the URL to get there, which is a little bit longer, but that'll point you to our fun group of stackers. Sean asked this in the basement, OG. I thought this is good for enough people that uh, we should talk about it here. He says, all right, stackers, my wife and I are under contract to buy our first rental property. What are some do's and don'ts for a first-time landlord? What do you wish you would have put into your lease agreements from the beginning? Thanks for that question, Sean. And I thought this is uh, for you and I both. You're a landlord currently. I've been a landlord. What are you thinking? I'm thinking that uh, now's a great time to not be a landlord. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, I own this building. It's a 11-unit building. It's 22,000 square feet. And it's old. But, you know, we've done some improvements on it. But I was telling the realtor, I said, hey, I think it's worth this, you know, this price. I told her the number. And she goes, no, it's never worth that. Well, across the street from the building I own is another building that just went for sale for 10000 less than my number. And I said, I told you so sell it. But anyways, for the existing time being, I am a landlord. And, um, you know, here, here are a couple of things. Number one, we pay utilities on our properties. Um, it's just kind of a city ordinance where we are. So they pay the electric and we pay water and gas. And I didn't think it was that big of a deal until we've owned these things for two years. And I realized that no one cares whether or not the windows are open and the heat's on. No one cares at all. No one cares if the water's running the whole time. We've had a couple of issues where the city will call and say, hello, OG. Uh, you used 800,000 gallons of water yesterday. You must have a toilet running. And then we go through the entire building to try to find it. And uh, one tenant's like, oh yeah, I think been running for like two days, man. So we're going to start adding a utility fee that will be in our leases. Uh, we don't allow pets, especially in a big building, because then you've got the one person who's allergic and this person who says their their pet's non-allergic and this one barks and this one meows too loud and you know, so we're just straight up no pets. We make sure that the property management company does do a really good background check. That's really important to us. That would be first on mine too. And people will give you some phenomenal stories. We'll give you some great stories about why things aren't working out for them. And, yeah. and I feel horrible saying this, but you got to let that go. Yeah, not my problem. Yeah, there was a thing I saw on Instagram the other day. It was a, a, a realtor 
you know, had like a little meme or something, you know, and it said something along the lines of, yeah, you make $12,000 a month, but can't verify your employer. Sorry, pass. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, I get it. I mean, and don't get me wrong, like helping your brother, you should help your brother, but this is an investment. Yeah. This is not your charitable donation. Yep. Um, still give money to charity, still help out your brother, give people stuff, but man, don't give them your investment. Right. We only do leases. If somebody wants a month to month, the price goes up because I think about it from the concept of risk and return. If you're willing to put something up that you're at risk, i.e. you've got to you know, be there for 12 months, then I'm willing to, to trade that away a little bit with a little bit lower. If you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I only want to commit to 30, month, 30 days at a time, well, hey, then I've, got to, then I've got to offset that risk for me with a higher price. On that note, I think you have to give some real thought to whether you want to allow subleasing or not. Generally, no. You had an issue with Airbnb. Yeah, and it wasn't an issue. It was it, they actually worked out just fine, but they're not renewing. Yeah, so we had a tenant that kind of snuck in. I, I didn't know about it. The property manager handled it all, and uh, they rented two units to Airbnb, and uh, they paid. So that's good. But but I, I would have preferred not to do that because again, just like you know, just like the bank, right? The bank's going to be a little bit more intentional about their lending when you're on your second house or on your third house than on your primary house, right? Because you're not likely to let your primary house go. And that's how I feel about Airbnbs. It's like, if you're going to rent my rental, (laughs) you know, there's a greater likelihood that you're going to default on it because that's not your primary thing. I decided not to go with a property manager. Of course, I only had one property. And you had a long-term tenant too. I did. Uh, but before that, I learned my lesson about making sure you have the right tenant. Yeah, I had a tenant that had some great excuses. I knew her. She was a friend of a friend. And so I let her slip through. And uh, she was a pig. Oh, gee. Just a complete uh, cleaning that house afterwards. My cleaning fee was nowhere near big enough. And you know what? I should have seen the writing on the wall because I looked into her background and I let it go because she was a friend of a friend. Yep. And I took the easy street and it cost me. But because I didn't have property management, I did that for two reasons. Number one, I wanted to keep that money. Number two was I lived fairly close and I wanted to make sure that if there was a problem that I knew how to handle it myself. And being a guy that hadn't owned a lot of real estate, I wanted to get my hands dirty so that if a property manager decided to tell me something was wrong or a tenant told me something was wrong, I had experience in that area. And so I decided to do that trial, trial by fire. But when stuff happened, I was able to handle it fairly easy. I know there's also some great software out there that help people, a software like Cozy, as an example, just to point to one. Um, we interviewed them back in 2018. We'll have a link. We have a link in our show guide. If you get our guide to these shows, you're following along and seeing all the extras in there, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. We'll also have a link in the show notes uh, page to Cozy, uh, as well as some other resources but whether you go property manager, now you do property manager OG because that's not in your backyard. Yeah, it's not in our backyard and it's also mandated by the area that we're in. If, if ah. the owner is outside of a, whatever it is, 50 mile radius, then you have to assign a property manager. Yep. Thanks for that question, Sean. And uh, Sean in our Facebook group, if you'd like to hang out with other like-minded individuals, we have a lot of resources beyond the show. I mentioned the guide earlier. We have the Facebook group, all of our social media channels, 
Lots of ways to get the surround sound a better, better financial habits. Thanks also to people that have left us a review of the show. We very much appreciate the fact that you spend time with us. We're working hard to make this a show you want to listen to and you want to spend time with. And if you're able to tell other people what they're getting into when they listen to the Stacking Benjamin show, we appreciate it. In fact, this, this review is from Rachel, five stars, one of the best finance podcasts out there. Podcast never gets old. I'm such a huge fan. They get straight to the point and the guests always share the most amazing stories, equal parts, inspiring and informational. Highly recommend Stacking Benjamins. See, very simple, succinct. And uh, mom has that one on her refrigerator right now, bragging to the bridge club, which she's so excited she can have again as we're coming out the other side of this long hibernation, isolation. It is kind of weird seeing people, isn't it? Do you still like when you're in the hallway, when you still like kind of like hold your breath as you walk oh, by? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah there were times down, when I was like, in look down and away like, I know we're closer than six feet, but don't, don't judge me. There was times when I was in Austin and I was thinking, is this, is this real? Am I actually out every day? Just feels a little bit more like normal. And then I remember the things about normalcy that I really didn't like. So there you go. Grass always greener. And last but not least, if you're somebody that needs better financial planning in your corner, OG and his team are taking clients. And that means that uh, they can help you make better financial decisions in 2021 and already getting set up for a great 2022. I almost threw up in my mouth saying that already. I can't believe the year's halfway over. But if you're looking back at time and going, you know, this is going too fast and I need to do better, stackingbedjamins.com forward slash OG. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned this particular Wednesday? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headline. You never know when disaster is going to strike, and you don't have to be a daredevil for it to happen. Think about your protection plan before you embark on your aggressive strategy. Play to win, but remember to cover your blind spots. Second, take a lesson from Stu Grimson. Taking care of business means doing the little things, practicing during your off-season, and taking your role seriously. If you want to advance to your playoffs, it's time to treat yourself like a pro but the big lesson don't tell Stu grimson that you're alike i mean that stare of his will knock you into the podcasting boards all right all right Stu, you can have mom's last brownie jeez dude pump the brakes a little bit to learn more about our guests and for more resources you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com To learn more about the life and career of Stu Grimson, check out his book, The Grim Reaper, The Life and Career of a Reluctant Warrior. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2021, and is created by Joe Saul Our producer is Karen Rapine. The show is written by Taylor Stevens with help from Joe and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen, check out our show notes page written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. Brooke and Joe also collaborate on a guide to the show and with lots of extras we couldn't include on today's podcast. Heck, they'll also throw in some life money lessons from Joe and it's all free. It's called The Stacker and you'll find it at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. 
Once we get all of this goodness bottled up, it goes over to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart, who helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to talk about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is the room mother in our Facebook group, The Basement. She also is our social media coordinator, so say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. She and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. For a URL that'll take you right to our Facebook group, by the way, type stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, reminding you that the Chipotle truck doesn't carry burritos. Lesson learned. You were just at the beach. Uh, I was, yep. And it it did not uh, go the way that you'd hoped it w- would have gone. It was. It's fine. I mean, Caroline was sick, but she powered through. You know, it's 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 perfect there. You've been to this this area. You were you were just down there a couple of couple of months ago. It's beautiful. Hand it's gorgeous. Florida. Super awesome. Rained a couple of days. So be it. But um, I have got a question for you. So uh, we were thinking about trading in a car. So we have we have a minivan, and the used car market is freaking out of Insane. control. Insane. We have this van that we bought in 2017. Uh, well, we bought it in, yeah, I don't even know. I think it's three years old. We bought it for 40 grand. It's paid for. We were given a quote of between 25 and 30 grand to trade it in. It has 60,000 miles on it. <laughs> And I've had it for four years, and they want to give me twenty-five to thirty grand on a forty thousand dollars purchase. <laughs> I'm like, what's the catch? <laughs> I mean, besides the fact I have to walk everywhere from now on. So simultaneous to that, I get another advertisement from another car manufacturer for their hybrid version of a minivan, and it's a thousand bucks off, and you get the tax credit for having the hybrid deal. So I can swap all these parts around, right? Get a new car, trade in my old one. Do, 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 do. Net out of pocket to me, 12 grand. What do you think about that? My original thought is, is if that's the offer, nobody comes in with a fantastic price. They come up with a price that helps them. And hopefully the only thing that's great for you is freedom from worry, right? I mean, it's right there. You just get it done with, but man, I think in this, in this market, if they're offering you that, like, I never think about those billboards as you go down the highway that say, we'll buy your house. Yeah. Like those guys aren't offering the premium price. No, of course not. Of course not. But there's somebody, there's somebody out there then that will offer you a bunch more money for it. 
so there's that factor, right? So there's the simplicity factor in that, like literally in 30 minutes, I can drive the car. Yeah. Like the guy's already said, he goes, I don't need to look at it. Yeah. He's like, it's done. I'm going to walk around it, make sure it runs. Like, that's all I care. Yes. I will take it. I will give you this one. We're going to pay cash because, you know, it's just the, the swap out. He's like, it's 30 minutes. You have a brand new car. It's hybrid. So well, number yeah. one, it's not 30 minutes, but yes. No, he said it is. The last car well, I did this to also, I said, listen, I'm not going to be there longer than 30 minutes. And they, they got me out of there in 30 minutes. But here's my question. Should I take the extra time and just sell it private? I think so. Because I get it. I probably get another three, four, five grand selling it private. It's just going to take well, a he, month to do. And then you got to deal with people and stuff like that. So I'm just trying to decide whether or not I just go the easy route and just go, yep, here you go. Here's the keys. Off you go. You know, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Or do I take the extra work and now I got to screw around with it for half the summer? And, you know, what would you do? Looking at how much money I saved on my last car by taking my time, I would totally take my time. I would also, I would also look at, um, and I know they're not sponsoring today's show, but that Navy federal true car service mm, yeah. where, where you're, you're going to pit this guy against, which I did, by the way, I did. And the price was exactly what, what the guy had told me. Oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cause I saved crap loads of money using that just tons of money. None of the other dealers could get lower. Well, also it doesn't exist. Remember, there's like all that. Remember, we were talking about like the chip shortage and all this stuff. There's like there's like good, layers good of issues as it relates to all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It is such a weird time. I know. What would you do, stackers? Let OG know. Might be too late by the time you let me know, but I'm kind of curious. <laughs> but we are curious. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is. Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.